Oh, Coach, we've got a good idea. Can't wait for that stadium. Yeah, we saw it. It was electric. It was amazing. And now the Raiders sit at 2-0 and after a big win yesterday in Pittsburgh. Eddie Pascal, Jason Fitz, we're in for JT on the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation, 920 AM. John Gruden taking the podium for his press conference. We don't want you to miss any of it, so we'll send you out there right now. It's like a lot of people stuck in Pittsburgh, but I'll uh, be happy to answer any questions I can. We're Pleased with the start, but also uh, anxious to get going here on Miami. Another playoff team from last year that uh, is coming off a tough loss, but still has a lot of talent on this roster, obviously. As you start preparations for them, not really clear who's going to play quarterback. One's right-handed, one's left-handed. How difficult is that to kind of start the process? Yeah, well, we know uh, Tua from competing against them last year. We also have seen Brissett uh, when he was a Colt, so we know something about them both. They've got a new offensive coordinator. They've got some uh, changes on their offensive line as well, and they've added a, a dynamic young skill player in the draft. We always have a lot of respect for their tight end and certainly Devontae Parker. So they got an arsenal of weapons, and I'm just more worried about my quarterback right now today than anything. John, when you look at all the free agents that have brought, brought in, even since the end of training camp, Mike Mayock's done a good job of getting you guys that fit your system. Could you talk about Mike's contribution to the 2-0 start, please? You know, there's enough credit to go around right now. Uh, but, again, I'm not going to stand up here. I don't have enough time to do that. Mike's doing a good job. Uh, his staff is doing a good job. Our coaches are doing a good job. Everybody's got a hand in it. And, um, you know, obviously uh, some of the players that, that have been brought in here uh, have, pay, have paid huge dividends, but we got a long way to go yet. John, you just mentioned you're worried about your own quarterback. What is the latest with Derek and his ankle? Uh, he had an MRI on it today. I think he's going to be uh, able to play. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, Will will have the official injury list for you. Uh, I'll make sure that it, uh, it gets officially laid out there uh, in your hands, but I think right now he's questionable. John, what are just two games in, but what are a couple of things that maybe you look at and you say, maybe even you underestimated part of this team when you look at, when you studied this team now just through two games and all through the summer, and now you've seen them in two games. Is there something maybe you even underestimated with, with this team? I think it's the kind of players that, that are here. You know, forget about the talent for a minute. You know, one of the things I've always felt in football is uh, certain teams have a brotherhood. Uh, certain teams don't. Uh, you can try to make it a family brotherhood-like atmosphere, but sometimes it's impossible to do. These, these guys in this locker room are more than just teammates. You know, they're brothers. They pull for each other. They lean on each other, and they challenge each other. And I think that is, uh, that is something we're more proud of than anything. You know, we've got a lot of guys that um, enjoy coming in here and, and providing the extra effort that it takes to, to have a chance to win games like we're winning right now. The risk of oversimplifying things. How good does it feel to have that defense out there to be able to count on it and uh, to make plays and to get stops? Well, you have to play good football in all three phases to make the tournament and to ever win a championship. So, again, I think uh, all three phases have contributed. We got to get better. We're not there on defense. We're not there on offense, and we need more big plays in a kicking game. But uh, we're improving on defense. The quarterback is playing great. We need to get our running game going. Uh, our kickers, our punter and our kicker are playing phenomenal. We need to get our return game going. So, um, you know, there's good and there's there's things we got to be realistic about as we get ready for the Dolphins. Still really early. And how's Josh doing? 
Um, I met with him this morning. He's in great spirits, really happy with the win. I would, I would think he's day-to-day -day and very questionable again for this game. Is, is, there, is there a process of learning to deal with you know, increased expectations or deal with success when a team starts the way that you guys have and have been playing so well? Well, we have a lot of veteran players in our locker room. And as I said earlier, I think there's a lot of maturity in there. They realize it was a great win at home against Baltimore. It was a great win on the road. And they also know they got a great challenge with the Dolphins. Uh, they're coming off a tough loss. And in this league, you really don't like to see teams that are coming off a tough loss. So uh, I'm not going to get overly worried about um, getting a big head or anything like that. We're, we're taking this one game at a time. John, as a coach, there are things you can and can't control. You just referenced a minute ago your team's unity. Derek talked about he gets hurt and he looks up and there's 30 guys praying for him. I mean, mm. for you as a coach, that's something you just can't manufacture. Is that one of the biggest things you could look at and as a coach and be appreciative of? Because that's yeah. nothing to do with you. Makes it fun to come in and coach. You know, when you're a teacher, you come in and you have students that actually are looking at you and taking notes when you're talking. They might learn something. You might help a guy get an A plus or an A, and you feel good as a teacher. We got guys that like to come in here, and, and they they demand, um, you know, that you give them some instruction on how to win a game and how to improve as a player. And um, I think that's that's a key ingredient. Um, five star character. Uh, everybody talks about five star talent. He's a five star talent. No one talks about five star character. We got a lot of that here. And uh, that's a big reason why we're winning. John, it's almost a, uh, I know it's a business, the NFL, so, but it's almost like kind of a college, maybe an atmosphere, kind of an excitement. I think, yeah, I think this taking a mask off, uh, being able to meet some people in Vegas is exciting. I mean, you know, we, we moved during a pandemic. You know, we're building our team and putting our team together uh, as other teams are during the pandemic. But we had to move from California to Las Vegas. Uh, we're actually, uh, you know, making some friends and, and seeing our fans for the first time. So there's a natural amount of enthusiasm and excitement and um, newness, freshness to this whole thing. And um, I think it's fueling, fueling us to a degree, um, but I can't speak for everybody. You guys brought in uh, Kyle Sloter, quarterback of the practice squad. What do you know about him and what do you think about him? Well, we had him in uh, earlier. I can't remember exactly when. You know, he's had some good preseason moments. He's a talented young player with Mariota out. You know, you see Nate Peterman taking all the scout team reps. You don't get to see practice, but we have a lot of reps, and we got a pass rush that's coming. And every day I worry about somebody stepping on Nate and not having a backup quarterback. So, you know, we have to, we have to be smart. Sloter will be a quick study. He's a smart guy. And um, he'll take a lot of the scout team reps that uh, Nate won't take now. With an in injured hamstring, Yannick still played, I think it was 30 reps right in that window. I think 29, yeah. yeah. Could you just discuss his toughness and what bringing those free agents? Yeah, they're tough. You know, he's, he's a captain on the team. He's always been tough. He's a strange tough. He's a really strange tough. This guy likes it. I think he enjoys the misery being double teamed, being chipped, the hot moments, pressure pack situations. He, he, uh, I think he takes a lot of pride in performing at a high level when he's not 100% physically and maybe the protection sliding to him, he finds a way. That's why he's uh, 
That's why he's one of our captains. That's why he's one of the premier rushers in the league. Darius Phylon sucked it up yesterday, played through some things, um, as have a lot of other players. But Jermaine Illuminor, again, great work at right guard. Peyton Barber, great work stepping up in a critical moment for us. And um, Yannick is uh, certainly a guy we're very proud of. You talked about that. I know you now that you've had a chance to look at it, I know you talked about it last night a little bit, but that 61-yard bomb to Ruggs and just kind of what you saw, what uh, you know, just kind of how that unfolded? Well, we, uh, you know, when you call plays, it's, it's, it's sometimes you hit the lottery, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't get the coverage you want. Sometimes you do. And, um, you know, I think we got the one-on-one -on -one that we looked for. Uh, we didn't pick up the protection as exactly like we wanted to. We had hoped it would have been cleaner for Derek, but he hung in there, made a great throw uh, with an unblocked stealer uh, in his face to his right. But we got the coverage we had hoped for. We got the matchup that we wanted. And uh, give Ruggs credit, give Carr credit. They made a heck of a play uh, in a very meaningful situation. John, any update on Alex Leatherwood? Yeah, he. Uh, we're going to call it a back strain, so uh, he's being evaluated uh, as we speak, and uh, we'll we'll list him. I'm sure as questionable until we get further information, but we need our right tackle for sure. And then defensively, you guys obviously brought in a lot of guys, but how how important was it to bring in not only just guys, but guys that were familiar with Gus's system? Well, usually that's what happens. You know, we usually. When a coach comes in, he tries to bring in a couple guys that he had been with in the past. Um, getting a guy like Perryman is huge for us. He had another 12-tackle day yesterday. He's a hell of a player. He just has had some ups and downs with injuries. Uh, K.J. Wright is a storied player. Uh, he's come in here and given us leadership and presence and playmaking. And uh, Casey Hayward... And he's been one of the top corners in the AFC for several years. So to get those guys to give us not only system intelligence, but leadership uh, is, is really big. They're strong in a meeting room. They're good on the back of the airplane. They're great at halftime on the sidelines, things you don't see that are helping our young team play better. Abram had his best game yesterday. You know, Solomon Thomas. I mean, the front fuels everything. You know, the defensive line is playing well, and we need that to continue. John, I know you guys were flying home last night, uh, end of the Ravens-Chiefs game. John Harbaugh goes for it on fourth down. I just want to know what you thought of that decision or if you were watching it at the time. You know, uh, kudos to the Ravens. You know, they, uh, they're they a great team, and they beat a great team last night. I didn't get a chance to see the whole thing. I saw some of the highlights this morning. Their rookie made a great play, stabbing that ball out of there, making that recovery. Um, but, yeah, with Lamar Jackson and – Coach Harbaugh is an aggressive, go-for-it type coach. I wasn't surprised. Is that it? I think we've heard the last of, of JG for the afternoon there, Fitz. All right. He's just done. He's yeah, gone. he's just done. He's it's quick. Over. Business. It's the business JT The Brick Show. Eddie Pascal, Jason Fitz. We're in for JT. A lot there, obviously, Tons. that we need to unpack. Um, uh, and the word of the day uh, seems to be the word of the week, I should say, will be questionable because 
It sounds like as of right now, they expect that quarterback Derek Carr will be listed as questionable. He's got an MRI. They're waiting on some of those results. It sounds like Alex Leatherwood for now will be listed as questionable while they evaluate what they're calling a back strain. And then I thought it was interesting. He said that, you know, he talked to Josh Jacobs this morning and he said he would still be very, very questionable. So uh, that, that speaks to, you know, if you think, all right, well, everything's going to be just fine as long as we have our running back or our quarterback or our tackle D none of the above right now. So questionable is going to be the word of the week. Yeah. But Fitz, I, I don't think really a ton of surprises there though. Right. I mean, I think coming out of Sunday's game and, and waiting to hear from John this afternoon, I, I don't think you come out of that with any glaring, you're like, Oh, kind of raise your eyebrow moments. I think the one thing for me is it sounds like kind of just reading between the lines. And once again, you and I are not medical professionals, but just reading between the lines, it sounds like Josh is perhaps a little further away than initially anticipated. But I think, I mean, the fact that Derek was able to finish, that game huge for him going into week three Leatherwood it sounds now we're listening as a back strain but I, I think for me the biggest concern is what is the status of Josh Jacobs and through two games we were talking about a little a little bit ago is yes you've won two games but you have done so without really getting the running game going and you and I both know that the key to getting that running attack where you want it to be is having Josh Jacobs a healthy Josh Jacobs out there on the field yeah you need the vision that Josh Jacobs brings for anyone that thinks you can just plug and play a running back I mean, we were all seeing it now. I'll use Dallas as another example, not even just because of the controversy around it, but everything Zeke has done so far this year has looked really difficult. Everything Tony Pollard, a kid out of Memphis, has done has looked easy, right? And so the Cowboys are in this weird situation where one of their running backs is a star and the other has vision, right? And that right now is making a huge difference. You can see the combination, but especially when your offensive line is getting beat up a little bit when it comes to running the football and this offensive line feels like it has over the last couple of games, if they're getting pushed back and you've got that sort of, it's already collapsing by the time the running back gets the ball, man, he better have great vision to at least find a seam if there is a seam. And Right now, I don't know where they get a running game if they don't have Josh. And and I was asking, or I tweeted this out yesterday, Fitz, and I'll ask you the same thing. Has there been anyone that has been thrown more curveballs on this Raiders or in this Raiders organization over the past eighteen months than Tom Cable? I mean, it, it just feels like week after week, half after half, sometimes even he's running a new front five out there. And give them credit because look, it hasn't been perfect all the time. It has not been beautiful by any stretch of the imagination at moments. But give Cable a ton of credit for at least fielding a you know, a competent offensive line, you know, on version 75, it feels like sometimes. Yeah. I think you, you make a really good point. And the caller earlier uh, that, that was talking about Leatherwood, uh, I would say in cable, we trust is a common theme, right? We had to un- expect, and I got sort of blown up by people on Twitter when I said, I expected the offensive line to take a step back, not because they're not good, but because it takes a second to gel together. And we need to remember that last year, we obviously didn't get a lot of continuity on the offensive line. This year, they did get rid of experience. Now, everybody could talk about pro football focus grades and all of these things. They got rid of experience, and they got rid of guys that know how to work together. And they did it for the reasons that they were comfortable with within the organization, part of which is that they trust Tom Cable. But that's going to take a little time. Like, it takes a second to develop players to playing well together. And we forget Andre James' lack of experience in game, right? And then you talk about the rest of the interior portion of the line. It's just hard to protect Carr, and it's hard to run the football if you don't have continuity on the offensive line. And especially when you look at an offensive line fit, and that perhaps more than any other unit on a football team is a unit in every sense of the word, where if you have a strong five, but then one of those guys goes out, okay, now we're kind of recreating that chemistry. Now we're building this group again together. And you need those five big big fellas up front to be in lockstep. And the fact that it's now been 
gosh, about a, a year and some change since we felt like we had a, a front five that was consistent week after week after week, just I think speaks to Tom Cable and I think speaks to, to what Mayock and Gruden have done in building up the depth in that group in particular. One of my buddies that uh, was an offensive lineman in the NFL told me a long time ago, imagine a fence coming at you, and it's coming at you at one speed in one unit. You can't move through that fence if it's well built. But if any one portion of that un- that fence is a little out of sync, all of a sudden, now you find a way to break through. That's what an offensive line gets when they have continuity. That's what this offensive line never had a chance to have early on. They'll need time to get it. In the meantime, a lot to break down. It's the JT The Brick Show. He's Eddie Pascal. I'm Jason Fitz. When we come back, we'll get you caught up not just on this injury report, but injury news that also will impact the Raiders' opponent coming into the weekend, Miami. We'll get you caught up on everything you need to know from the injuries as we continue to celebrate 2-0 and on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. The JT The Brick Show is brought to you by Sam and Ash, proud partners of JT and the Raider Nation. If you get into an accident, call 702-820-1234 or go to SamAndAshLaw.com. It's the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Eddie Pascal, Jason Fitz in for JT. Just basking in the glow of 2-0. It feels wow, good, that, doesn't it? Basking in the glow of two and zero. Look at this poetry. Bars, coming bars, like, bars, bars, Fitz. Uh, you know, it's uh, that's what I'm known for. No, no, it's not at all. All right, Eddie. We just got some injury updates from Coach Gruden in his conference press conference. Obviously, guys, these things will change over the next couple of days. Keep in mind that this is a very quick reaction. Uh, for coach and it's really a virtually impossible situation knowing that these guys come back from the east coast to the west everybody has to be checked out then they've got to get MRIs all of this is a process right so as of right now an MRI has been done on Carr's ankle he is questionable Uh, Josh Jacobs is very very questionable they've talked to him today and Leatherwood is questionable but there's also injury news on the Miami side as it looks like Tua is going to be listed as day-to-day there's nothing broken in his ribs but there is substantial pain and uh, y'all like I just have to stress this that substantial pain seems like oh you're just playing through it not for quarterbacks rib pain is one of the most intense things that a quarterback can endure and they have to be very uh, careful with how they treat it as we all remember last year to Rod Taylor getting his lung punctured uh, during an injection that was for rib pain so you have to be very careful with quarterbacks that are dealing with that for uh, Tua that could be significant in this game yeah and I think that in hearing coach's press conference one thing that I thought I forget who it was so I wish I could give him some love but asked a really good question of does the fact that uh, Jacoby Brissett is a right-handed quarterback and Tua is a left-handed quarterback and you don't know who's going to be good to go on Sunday it might be in the you know we might have that new very new age very trendy let's see both of them out there on Sunday but does it change the way that you go and you kind of a plan and, and a, a defensive attack of them and coach was like oh you know I'm, I'm worried about my quarterback I kind of dance around it a little bit but all the same the fact that you do have quarterback question marks leading into week three uh, on so- you don't want to say it's good but at some sense you're kind of like you would like to know who you're playing whether it's two or the other guy you know especially because the other guy is Jacoby Brissett and Jacoby's had some success as a starter I, in the league. I like I mean, Jacoby personally a lot yeah I, and so I look at this and say this is not just about Derek Carr and his health this is also about frankly Marcus Mariota and his we all know that Marcus is on the IR and you know, there's a real shot. We hope that this wouldn't be the situation, but 
Nathan Peterman could have to start for the Raiders on Sunday, which would be starting with your third-string quarterback, right? Like, it's very rare that any team can look at a third-string quarterback and say, oh, well, here's our path to success, even as they try now to get themselves backups in the room that can sort of keep Peterman in bubble wrap because that's got to be the the goal this week, right? Is like a combo of get Carr healthy and keep Peterman in bubble wrap. And I think that, and Coach Gruden announced during his press conference too that the Raiders signed quarterback Kyle Sloter to the practice squad. So a little quarterback, you know, uh, roster management there as well. But it is crazy where you think it's wild to kind of live in this reality where you are one, literally one play away from having your third string quarterback out there playing meaningful snaps in a regular season for a 2-0 football team. But... That is the world that we find ourselves in now. And look, there is going to be a lot that is going to change over the next three, four days. We'll get a clearer picture of how Derek's uh, ankle is. We'll get a, ple- a, cu- a clearer picture of whether he's going to be able to go or not. We'll learn the same thing about Tua. But all the same, man, it just shows you. We were talking about luck earlier. It just shows you how fragile the NFL ecosystem is team to team. And, and, you know, the Raiders are not alone in this being one snap away now from their third string quarterback. Three weeks, not even three weeks into the regular season. Yeah, the injury bug has been a nightmare across the league as a whole. Although, another interesting note, and this is just my in-the-weeds nugget that I think a lot of fans don't necessarily realize, but really cool, when you heard Gruden come out, he was already armed with so much information in Miami. I've got a buddy that uh, did this for a couple of different teams, but he's a former NFL head coach that, as, after he went into retirement, just became what they call an advanced scout coach. So his only job was to break down film and footage for the opponent that's two weeks away. So there's always a book on who you're getting. So the minute Gruden steps on the plane after the game, as he celebrates, he's basically handed a docket of information on everything there is to know about Miami. And you saw some of that when Gruden came in and immediately started talking about not just Miami and their quarterbacks, but their weapons and where the rookies are and where they expect impact from. It shows you the amount of game planning and and practice. Obviously, the the Dolphins doing the same thing for the Raiders. But coaches are already 10 hours into their workday by the time we hit the Monday afternoon press conference, which is a little insane to think about workload-wise. A a little insane? It's incredibly insane. (laughs) I mean, like, think about that. Like, it fits. I if I was asking you to have, give me your next nine shows, give me the rundown for your next nine shows by the time we get off the air at two o'clock here. Like the fact that the amount of information that any head coach in the NFL just at one time has floating around their head is, is pretty incomprehensible. If you, if you really sit down and try to break it down, it's nuts. Yeah. Well, and it's going to be interesting because in the process of all of that, the Raiders are also going to self scout. I don't think he's Eddie Pascal. I'm Jason Fitz. We're in for JT, the brick on J on the JT, the brick show. I don't think there's an easy solution to the running game. To go back to what we were talking about earlier with the offensive line, I don't think there's an easy solution to pass protection either. I do think that this is a a Raiders offense that was clicking in the second half because of command and understanding for Carr. And I want to go back to something I said earlier, Eddie, really quickly, because, you know, you're a young buck. I'm the old man on this show. Uh, I remember, well, I mean, I remember being old enough to drink sitting in the bars and watching Gannon do his thing in years three and years four. And what a lot of people forget about that first uh, Gruden era is he went eight and eight the first two seasons. And there was all these expectations, went eight and eight. And then people were just whispering about whether or not Al was happy with the job he was doing and would the Raiders take the next step and could they be a playoff team? All of these things happened so quickly after back-to-back eight and eights. And then all of a sudden in year three, it just clicked and it clicked largely because it felt like Rich Gannon had this control of the offense that you've never seen before and just a quarterback that could come to the line and decimate anybody I was at the game in Pittsburgh in 2002 I think it was where the Raiders set a then record for most consecutive passes in the first half because they figured out how to beat the Steelers and they did it right 
I felt the same way watching the second half of this matchup between Carr and the Steelers. And I say Carr because Carr was diagnosing the defense before the snap, knew exactly where he was going to go with the ball. They shortened their routes. They got everything out so quickly that it really forced Pittsburgh to try and step their defense up. But to the point of Henry Ruggs, not just showing up on the stat sheet. If you bring everybody up close to try and stop Waller and Renfro, now you're up a creek if you don't have somebody back there to help you with Ruggs. It was really brilliant game plan management when the Raiders had their back against the wall and had no other options. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head when they had no other options, when they had to get it. Gruden and Derek found a way to do it. And I think it just speaks again to the efficiency, the confidence, the precision that we have seen out of Derek Carr these first two weeks. And yes, the first half of the Monday night game was not the most crisp version of Derek Carr that we've seen. In fact, I think that the reason so many of us were sitting there at, at halftime kind of scratching our head is because we were like, we don't see this Derek. We see this Derek maybe once every three years. Like, this is not a Derek that we are accustomed to seeing. You know, you see some quarterbacks and, hey, it takes them a while to kind of get in motion. It kind of takes them a while for them to get hot and to get ready and, and kind of do their thing. That's not Derek at all. Like, Derek steps on the field. He's good to go. He starts incredibly crisp. But you take that first half aside, and the precision that we've seen out of Derek has been so good. The confidence has been so fantastic. The fact, and we were talking about this earlier, that he's now getting a lot of guys involved speaks volumes about where he is in his development, the confidence that he has in Gruden and Gruden has in him. And it is going to be a lot of fun. If he is healthy to go on Sunday, it is going to be a lot of fun to see that keep kind of growing and maturing throughout the regular season. You and I were sitting in Allegiant Stadium talking at the time about the number of times we saw Ruggs look like he was open week one, and he wasn't part of the the mindset of where the play was designed. Now, a couple of things on that. Um, number one, not every play is designed to actually go to all, all the receivers in the route. So it's possible that, you know, Carl wasn't even supposed to look there, as crazy as that sounds. But number two... There's a part of this also where you look at it and say, man, Carr went back and watched that tape, right? And what he saw, I think, was a really good game from Ruggs. And it's fair to say we've seen Carr with enough different wide receivers over the last few years that I think it's a fair statement to say it takes him a second to develop you know, the right trust. Not chemistry, but trust. Last year we saw a few times where Ruggs looked like he was open and the ball just wasn't placed in the right spot. You know, Is it the receiver? Is it the quarterback? This year we saw Ruggs not be as much of a part of week one. In week two, it seemed like there was a concerted effort to look for him. And by looking for him, we saw him on a couple of different routes that weren't just the big things. All of a sudden, it changes. Just just those couple of catches in the third quarter changed the way that he was defended in the fourth quarter. And it's an interesting part of the chess match of having somebody with that much speed. You, know, you talk about that trust and shameless Pugler, Donald Penn was on the fifth quarter with me yesterday and he essentially said the same thing. Oh yeah. And we'll see you on Sunday, Fitz. We'll keep the Woo! shameless plugs going, baby. We'll see you on Sunday. But Donald was saying that essentially what you did too, where it takes Derek, not only Derek a little bit of time to trust the guy, but it takes John a little bit of time to trust the guy too. And he goes, if I were a betting man, he goes, I guarantee you when they show up on Wednesday at practice that John is going to go to uh, Henry Ruggs and be like, well, we got you the, the Henry Ruggs package. This is what we are building out for you now. Because according to my very you know rudimentary calculations, we had seven targets for Henry Ruggs, which, as I said, according to my very rudimentary calculations, is a career high. So there was a concerted effort to get him the ball and to get him the ball in a variety of ways. And look, Henry Ruggs is going to be the speed guy. For better or for worse, he is a guy who, by the way, when he runs, it looks incredibly effortless. I don't even know if effortless is a fair enough adjective to describe what it looks like when he runs. But not only are you, were, were Derek Carr and the offense getting him involved going deep, but they got him involved in the intermediate uh, routes as well. They got they, He's just one of those guys you have to get the ball into his hands. And so now I think going into week three, week four, week five, I think I'm going to be really excited to see 
what does Henry Ruggs' role on this team kind of develop into? Is he a guy similar to Waller where you're going to say, hey, we know we got to get Waller, and I'm looking at the stats right now. Waller had seven targets yesterday. Is he? Is Henry now a kind of guy where you go, hey, we know we got to get Darren his eight or nine. Do we also have to live in a world where Henry's got to get his six, seven, eight, nine as well? I, I don't know, but it'll be interesting to kind of watch that, that story unfold. But that's one of the differences in this offense. I feel like every year that we have a conversation about where the team goes late in the year, I ask the same thing. Go look at the starting lineup late in the year and tell me who these wide receivers are and what teams they'd be starting on most of the time, right? Like, tell me where they make their impact. Like, in today's NFL, you need to have weapons. And this offense at times has had individuals that can be weapons. But now it's becoming a very much a pick-your-poison offense. I mean, because Dar- because Waller is so spectacular, not just a tight end. He's basically wide receiver one for this team. Like, he's the first look. Hunter Renfro has become so reliable. Ruggs is becoming who Ruggs is. Edwards, I think, has gotten more looks over the last game and a half than we expect and comes up big in big spots. And then you've got a couple of veterans that you can plug and play to put into the other portions of it. It, When Josh Jacobs comes into this offense, that's a level of weapons that haven't been available to the Raiders in years. And what have we talked about a million times? Like, when you see Derek Carr throw to Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree, you're like, oh, this quarterback can sling it. He's an MVP candidate. Well, now that they put weapons around him that are on par, I think, with the weapons he's had at the best time in his career, he's got enough different options to look to. It makes it really hard. If you're Miami and you're sitting down, you have to say, okay, who are we going to shut down? That's not an easy question to answer. And we didn't even mention Kenyon Drake. I yeah. mean, that, there's so many weapons on this offense that we can have this long dialogue about you know players A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and you don't even get to all of them, which is a fantastic problem to have. But to your point... It is going to be interesting as we kind of go throughout the season, as we go with the ups and the downs, and there will be highs and there will be lows, just the nature of this game. But it will be interesting to see how Derek kind of handles this offense, handles the personalities of this offense, making sure everyone is going to get their touches. Because to your point, I don't know. You said going back to 2016, uh, this is probably the most weapons he had. I would say he probably has more weapons now than he did in 2016 because I loved the Coop and Crab era with uh, Andre Holmes, Latavius Murray, all those guys. I loved that era of Raiders football. It was so much fun to watch. But I think on paper now, where you look at the weapons he has now compared to 2016, I think, I think, I think I have to give the edge to 2021 in that portion of the uh, uh, the discussion there, Fitz. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not sure because I put so much emphasis on where Crab was at that point in his career. I think there was two really great players, but you're right. There's more to this. And what's really challenging, you know, how many times are you going to watch a broadcast on Sundays where they talk about the new hybrid safety that's not really a safety and not really a linebacker? Well, that hybrid safety is going to have to help on Darren Waller. And if that hybrid safety has to help on Darren Waller, and I don't care if Darren Waller gets 60 looks, if that if that's what it takes to get that safety to come up, because once that safety's come up, now he's not back anywhere to help with some of these deeper routes. And if you give Carr just enough time to be able to throw that ball, that is going to be key. I, I think it's become a very much a pick-your-poison offense that's going to be tougher and tougher to slow down, much like we've seen for years as fans when we've taken on Kansas City. In the meantime, that's all offensive stuff, but there was so much good on the defensive side of the ball and a couple of stars we need to give some love to. Somebody that I think had a great game that we're not talking enough about. We're going to talk about it next. It's the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation Radio uh, at AM 920. Eddie Pascal, Jason Fitz filling in for JT. We'll get you a star you, you need to give some love to next. The JT The Brick Show is brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town and an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. You can text us. It's super easy. The text line, 
the Salmon Ash text line 69187, keyword RNR. Visit SalmonAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. Eddie Pascal, Jason Fitz, we're in for JT on the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Man, I got to admit, Eddie, I'm just going to be real with you. It's a long day for me. It really is. I, I get a long day. A lot of people have a long day today. And when you were like, hey, man, can we talk about the Raiders on Monday? My level of excitement through the roof, just like 2-0 and for this fan base, it's just, I'm telling you, it's hitting different this year. It feels different. But one of the reasons why, and we talked about the defense a lot, we'll give them more love. But you heard John Gruden in his press conference say, Jonathan Abram might have played the best game of his career. And there's a play that is all over the interwebs right now that's really interesting to me because obviously it's Abrams getting the wrong end of a Najee Harris sort of push away. What was substantial to me, if you've watched any Jonathan Abrams over the last couple of years, what was substantial to me wasn't that moment. It's everything that led up to it. He had a great angle to get himself to Najee Harris, and he didn't try so hard to murder him that he got himself out of the play. Like, how many times have we seen that happen? Now, that one didn't go his way, but two or three plays later, he's back in that same way, making that same play with a smart, measured approach. Like, this is a Jonathan Abram through two games that looks like he knows exactly what he's trying to do, and he's playing, God, dare I say it, under control in a way that seems to be ticking the other team off, drawing penalties against the other team, and he's still in the right position at the right time. I'm really impressed with the growth for him. Yeah, you have to be. And I think going back to even last week, I think one of the most important sound bites we heard from Coach Gruden this season was he goes, going into Monday night, the thing he said about everyone, he goes, I liked his mindset. I liked his mentality headed into the game. And Jonathan Abrams growing up, man. I mean, we're all getting older, right? We all get a few, few more grays around the temple than we did a few years ago. But Abram, I think, very slowly, very methodically, right before our eyes, is growing up. He is maturing. And I was talking to Donald Penn about this yesterday, where the first couple years of Jonathan Abram, for better or for worse, this is who he was. He was a feast or famine kind of guy. There was no in between. He is going to have that incredible huge hit. He is going to have that explosive interception, that big takeaway. He's going to get to the quarterback. But then he's going to have the moments of, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? The head-in-your-hands type moments. And it felt like there wasn't a lot of in-between. As I said, feast or famine. But this year, through two games, it feels like we have a more measured Jonathan Abram. We have a more in-control, emphasis on in-control Jonathan Abram. And if Abram can be that guy, if he can be the mature leader back there of that secondary, oh, man, this defense that we have seen a lot from this first two weeks is going to be even scarier, even more dynamic, and it is going to be a it's going to be tough sledding for opposing offenses. Yeah, but the whole reason that we need to buy Gus Bradley unlimited beers when he wants them is because not – I mean, you're talking about a player that has put himself in different positions that over the first couple of years were questionable, and now all of a sudden you've got a secondary that has Abram – and then Trayvon, right? And Trayvon Merring, we are just forgetting, is a rookie that has not been picked on at all. Like that, that's, uh, and I, I said to, I saw JT before the game on Sunday or on Monday night. I saw JT and we were just chopping it up and talking about, you know, Trayvon in, in, in general. I watched a lot of his film from TCU uh, covering college football for ESPN and covering the draft. And the reason I loved him is he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Like that's just who he is. He makes the right play and the right read and puts himself in the right position and uh, takes incredibly good angles. He's smart and he's incredibly fast when he does it. So there's a lot to love about the kid. And I thought he, you know, was a first round pick in my mind. So I'm watching him out there and I'm thinking, man, I forgot at one point in the broadcast, they showed him and I thought, man, I forgot he's even back there because nobody is picking on him, which is 
a stunning testament to him and also a testament, again, to Gus Bradley and the way this defense is rolled. And yes, first off, and perhaps most importantly, Fitz, the next time we see Gus Bradley out in the real world, brewski's on us. My goodness, Gus. People are, someone tweeted at me last night and they said, hey, is it too early to buy a Gus Bradley jersey? And I was like, I don't think so, man. Like, if you're going to get a Bradley 2021 or whatever you want it to be, man, I'm, I'm all for it. But, you know, going back to... Do you to think tr- he's a fancy beer guy or do you think no, he's like a... No, no, like, no, yeah, no, no. He, he seems, seems like... Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. He seems like, a, you know, whatever American lager we got, you know, he seems like, you know... Gus seems like the kind of guy that has that very old school, and I mean this in the best possible way, just like kind of Midwestern beer fridge out in the in the garage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's got a couple. But, he's got a couple frozen pizzas. He's got a couple thirty racks in there. Like put it this way, I think Gus is buying beers in thirties, not not sixes. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And by the way, I describe my garage fridge as my Midwestern garage fridge all the time. So, uh, by the way, yeah, and it's filled with with beer that's available in mass quantity. I'll tell you a story you didn't ask for quickly, but I was at a, a restaurant in Nashville, and Kings of Leon has a beer out, right? And so the band, and they, they've started making Kings of Leon beer. And so one of my buddies is a beer beer snob, and like he likes his fancy beer, so he, he's a big fan of the band. So he orders a Kings of Leon beer, and it, it was not, he said it tasted like a, uh, a junky Coors Light was his comment. That was what he said. It tastes like a really bad knockoff version of a Coors Light was what he said. And so I happened to know one of the guys in the band. So I texted him. I was like, oh, you guys are fancy. You got beer going. And he said, yeah, we were really looking to make a festival beer that's like a bad knockoff of Coors Light. <laughs> and I was like, you have accomplished your goals, good sire. There we go. There's let me, let me ask you this. You think when yeah. the, the guys at uh, the Kings of Leon, if you will, when they're in their palace, their respective palaces, do you think that when the, uh, the itch for a, a cold one comes up, they go, I think I could use a brewski. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's- Thank you. Thank That's you. Well done by I'll you. be here all That's, week. Be here all yeah. week. Be here all week. <laughs> but uh, going back to Trayvon Your Merrick. Your are on fire. Oh, Let's go. Come on. Going back to Trayvon Merrick, the important stuff. Uh, it was funny where you bring him up that he hasn't been picked on. We were sitting in HQ yesterday watching the game, putting our notes together, you know, making sure that we're pre- prepared for everything post-game. And my guy Logan looks at me. He goes, you know, I don't think we've heard Trayvon Merrick's name in the first two weeks. And he goes, but that's not a bad thing. And I think that if you're in a position like he is, a guy who's going to be asked to play a lot, to be put in positions that are essentially feast or famine positions, and he is holding up and you're not hearing his name, that is A-OK. Yeah, I mean, I think where we see it is A, there's two two spots. One, the pass, the pass rush has been amazing, and we've talked about that. The defensive line has played lights out. But there have been a couple of times that we've seen quarterbacks run and have time and just not find anybody open and that's crazy for me to be like it it gives me goosebumps just saying that because I feel like it's been a long dang time since we have said that but there were a couple of times we even saw Ben go down where they said on the broadcast look there's nobody open he had time to throw there's nothing there and that's a statement to the blanket work that the secondary is doing the safeties are doing and covering anything everything Trayvon who we've talked about one of the callers earlier mentioned Nate Hobbs who's been a delight for everybody and, and Casey Hayward who you know, again, a veteran signing. We, we talked about the Mayock veteran signings that have come in. I mean, you got to put Casey at or near the top of that list when it talks to guys, talking about guys that have made impact. He just has made all the right plays for a guy that is an affordable free agent that came in so late. Absolutely. And I think just going back to Trayvon Mullen for a second, I going into this year before training camp, you and I had this conversation where I said, look, Trayvon Mullen is not a guy who's going to pound his chest. He is not a very, you know, outspoken, loud, kind of classic DB. He's a quieter dude. He goes about his business. But I was like, I think Trayvon is poised for a really, really nice 2021 because you just look at his career historically. 
He has gotten better year after year, week after week. And now you throw him in with Gus Bradley into this Gus Bradley scheme. And I think that through two weeks, and I feel like that's the big caveat that we got to keep bringing up through two weeks, we have a long way to go. It is the end of September, but through two weeks, Trayvon has been fantastic. And I think that if he keeps going at this rate, and it's going to sound crazy, but I think at the end of the year, if everything kind of falls where it needs to be, you're talking about Trayvon Mullen in, in that conversation of, is he a Pro Bowl cornerback? Yeah, and, and the interesting, you said through two weeks, which we need to keep stressing, but one thing that Gruden stressed in his press conference today when asked about uh, players that came in that Gus knows, he said, yeah, that's what happens. Coaches change, and they, they bring in a couple of guys that know their system. We are just taking for granted at this point what a change the system was. I mean, you're talking about guys that were drafted specifically for their ability in man-to-man defense, right? The, their ability to lock in with somebody and see where things can go. And now they're running a cover three zone scheme that asks them to have a completely different set of pre-snap responsibilities, completely different level of communication, complete trust that you're pushing the guy you're supposed to be covering into the area where you have help. Like, there's a lot that actually goes into that communication-wise. And I don't want to take for granted the fact that we've seen this team look so much tighter defensively in a good way. Like, they've gotten everything locked in when they're running such a drastically different scheme than they've ever run before. And the thing, and going back to our conversation with Donald Penn yesterday, is I asked Donald, I go, look, I know you're an offensive line guy, Donald. You're, that's what we want you to talk about. We want to talk about the offensive line. You have such a keen eye for that. But just to flip your switch for a second, what have you seen? What has been the biggest change for you watching this defense from last year to this year? And he goes, I, and he said, I mean this in the best possible way. He goes, it's just simpler. You're allowing your players to do what they do best. You're allowing them to go play. You're saying, hey, go get the football. This is how I want you to do it, but go get the football. And he said that it's such an understated thing that people don't bring it up enough. But he goes, you hear it all the time. Oh, it's a simpler scheme. It's a simpler scheme. But he goes, but in reality, for guys on defense who want to be fl- who want to play free, who want to play loose, who want to say, see ball, get ball, the fact that they can play free like that and it's been simplified for them, I think is, and we've seen through two weeks, take a shot every time you hear that, but through two weeks, we have seen it in a big way kind of pay, pay positive dividends for, for this Raiders team. Especially when you've drafted a defense that's built around speed. Because if you're going to, you know, see ball, get ball, and you're relying on athletes that have tremendous speed and athletic ability to do it, man, it's been night and day. Gus Bradley! You know, your, 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 uh, I think cheap Americana beer is on me. If you want fancy beer, Eddie's going to have to get that. That's and the way that goes. we can meet in the goes. middle. Uh, that, that's fair. Uh, we are pumped about 2-0, and almost as pumped as we'll be next week about 3-0. and I'm just, it's, I, I won't get ahead of myself because I'll be insufferable at that point. He's Eddie Pascal. You can follow him on Twitter, at Eddie Pascal. I'm Jason Fitz. You can follow me there as well, at Jason Fitz. We appreciate you guys letting us hang out with you. Thanks so much for JT letting us take the seats. This has been the JT The Brick Show on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM.